heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. This is our Idaho road trip last stop with Hadley Robertson with Zuzu. Did I say that right? You got it. I always call it Zuzu, and that's it's not enough zh in yes, the middle of it. You need yes. the, the Frenchy part. Yes, and Hell's Canyon White. So yes. you have dual labels, um, mm-hmm. and we'll explain that a little bit later. I don't want to forget the labels on the Zuzu brand because they are stunning, and we need to make sure that we talk about that. Okay. I brought several bottles home when I visited you a few years ago, and every time I pull those bottles out, People are like, oh my God, look at those labels. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, the labels are stunning. The wine is also equally oh, good on the you. inside. So, you know, there's all this loveliness. But you guys have a long story. It started with your dad. Mm-hmm. And then it's moved on to you and your sisters. And let's uh, let's start from the beginning and figure out how all this wine stuff kind of happened. Okay. Well, the first generation is Hell's Canyon Winery. And that was started by Stephen Leslie Roberts and my parents. And they bought in Sunny Slope, Idaho, 40 acres of dirt in 1980. And they had come from Oregon. They decided to dry out and move to the desert. And they said, it said, welcome to Idaho. And it was the end of the pavement. And at that time, Idaho was just completely unknown. Um, And my dad went into the restaurant business. He had a fine dining French traditional restaurant called Annabelle's in Boise. And it was the first restaurant of its kind in the whole valley. And it was hugely successful. And he had a wine list. and Nobody had ever had a restaurant with a wine list in Boise. And he was doing fish. And so it was really innovative at the time in the 70s. And then he and my mom started a fish market. It was called Muscles Fish Market. And he did cooking classes there. It was a specialty shop before Boise ever had a co-op. So they had specialty beers and wines and fancy imported cheese. And he was just always building all of these brands. And he was a huge um, customer for the West because there just weren't too many places like it. So after having those businesses, he just decided he wanted to start his own brand, his own line of wines. And he and my mom had been to France and Portugal and they'd studied wine after he went to the Culinary Institute of America That was just before they moved to Boise. You know, people say, oh, well, did he grow up in a farming family or anything like that? And he did travel to Idaho during the summers to visit his dad, but he was mainly interested in the outdoors, rafting and hunting, but just wanted to start a vineyard and a winery. So they bought the property and then they started growing Chardonnay. They planted 81. So we have an old vine Chardonnay that we're still harvesting from. So they had their first vintage under a different name than Hell's Canyon in 1984. Then again in 86 and 88, and they started making reds and expanded into reds in the 90s. So we grow 75% red varietals now, but we still have the old vine Chardonnay, um, which we love. And so my sisters and I, we grew up out there on a dirt road and where the winery and vineyard was first established. And so then we decided when we became of drinking age that we wanted to start our own line of wines that was a little bit more women-centric. 
because we recognize that we were drinking the wine, we were buying the wine, and so we wanted to make the wine. And so my sister Bijou, she's our Juju winemaker, and she went to culinary school as well, like my dad. So they both approach the winemaking in terms of food and wine pairing, much more of the kind of foodie side of things than like the chemistry side of making wine. So my parents have just expanded the vineyard and the winery. They opened a bed and breakfast out on the property for a short time. And then in 2007, I came back to the business full time. And we were already making juju at that time, but it was still really new. Um, So we still continue to do the Hell's Canyon wines. And now we've expanded our line for a boutique-sized winery. We have a lot of different wines um, with juju. So... That's a lot in one breath. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people always ask me, you know, why did your parents come to Idaho and start a winery? I've never really had a really clear picture. I mean, my dad was just such an entrepreneur and so ambitious. And I think he had just seen, you know, the qualities that he wanted in wine. Maybe he wanted he wanted the European style in the new world. And he just wasn't finding that in domestic brands, which, you know, there weren't as many at the time, certainly, and just wanted it for his own. So they picked a really great site. And Idaho has now become much more of a grape growing and winemaking area. But at that time, I mean, it was pioneering. For sure. And especially (laughs) if there was no paved roads past the welcome to Idaho sign. I mean, that's really back to like truly pioneering. Yeah. And our winery is designed as a potato shed because there was nothing in the area like it. And so I think for insurance or building permits or something. It had to be a potato shed. It's a potato shed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what Idaho has been known for is for sure potatoes. We can store potatoes down there. We do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Every fall we get them and then we give them out to customers. They think it's really amusing. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, you know, I don't know. I guess it'd be a great parting gift, you know. Come for the potatoes, leave with the wine. <laughs> yes, or, yeah, or both, there for that go. matter. Is there such thing as potato wine? Potato vodka. I know there's potato vodka. I don't know that there's potato wine. I don't wine. know. There wouldn't be a whole lot of flavor. I can't imagine I don't imagine think it would that, be very good. No, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to jump on that too. We'll let I somebody just, less traditional try that on. Good plan. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about the little bit of the difference between, you know, what Hell's Canyon is making versus the Juju. And I know your sisters are the one side and your dad's the other, but is there a difference with kind of how you're approaching it as far as like just style or and then what varietals are going in what bottle or kind of how have you divided and conquered all this? Yeah, and it's been a growing uh, process. We wanted to start with Juju, something a little bit more approachable. So we thought we would be really clear in our labeling, you know, what exactly was in the wine. And we had originally started, we wanted the price to be a bit lower than Hell's Canyon, which their focus has always been really traditional, ageable wines. So, you know, full-bodied Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot. We just more recently started making a single varietal Cab Franc in Hell's Canyon, uh, traditional barrel fermented Chardonnay. So with Juju, we've been able to play a little bit more. We started making a rosé, which Hell's Canyon had only done one time before and never again. And we made a late harvest Chardonnay one time. Um, We've made a dry Riesling. 
And we've never done a single varietal Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc. And so we just try to think about, you know, what we have in Hell's Canyon and how we can do it different in Juju. So we might do a red blend, but we'll do a different vintage. So we did like for 2018s, we did all Hell's Canyon reds. And then 2019, we used for the Juju wines. Um, And we've learned, you know, along the way, like we used to make a little bit sweeter Chardonnay called Platinum Blonde. And we discontinued that. We made one called Velouté, which was our velvet white. But it was nobody knew what it was. So we discontinued that. And then we first made our Juju Deep Pink, which was our Rosé of Cab Franc, in 2006. And this was long before Rosé was such a huge hit. And then we never made it again until 2016. And now we make two rosés because it's so popular now. So why the hiatus between the two? Because it didn't sell. Interesting. There was, you know, it was just kind of obscure. There weren't as many rosés on the market. People always thought it was going to be white Zinfandel. Uh, you know, yeah, it was still sure. just like <laughs> an unknown. People thought it was going to be really sweet. All the guys were like, no, I don't drink pink wine, (laughs) you know, because it was pink. Yeah. And now everybody's like, it can be any color of the rainbow in the pink spectrum. It can be dry. It can be off dry. It can be ultra sweet. So people are more comfortable with it. But yeah, it just we had made quite a lot and it took us a long time to sell. So we just thought, well, we kind of changed it up and we made a lighter rosé with Syrah and that that did better. And then we started making the Cab Franc Rosé again. It's, yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it, you know, in, you know, in Oregon, in the Willamette Valley, like all of a sudden, like somebody started making pink and then the second person started making pink and now it's hot and everybody's making pink because it's this really great balance between a white wine and a red wine, depending mm-hmm. on how you make it. So mm-hmm. you can get the structure from the red, but the aromatics and the, you know, the crispness from like a white. Right. Well, and it's so year round. Yeah. I mean, you can have it with Thanksgiving dinner. You can have it with appetizers. You can have it with exotic, spicy food. And so foods that are hard to pair with, oftentimes rosé will go really well. And I think because they're more available too, now you can really get that. You know, you don't have to look for like that one Riesling to go with your spicy pad thai or something. Yes. You can easily find a rosé. Yeah. Or, yeah, whatever toots your horn for the night. Yeah. There are so many different, yeah. I mean, especially as the the wine industry, whether it's here or in the Northwest or whatever is growing, there's just so many great options anymore. Yeah. And people like new and funky, but I think they also like what they're familiar with. And, you know, they've just tried more. They've had more options now. So they've been more comfortable trying more things. Yeah. No, for sure. The whole, um, whole style with Juju just being, you know, more, you know, approachable, female friendly, whatever, kind of really um, accentuating you and your sister's personalities and what your likes are has come across in the labels as well. And I want to make sure that we give full credit to where the labels came from and how they came to be. Well, we had always used original artwork on the Hell's Canyon wines. So my parents had worked with a watercolor artist named David Hagerbomber for almost exclusively for over a decade. And so we wanted to use original artwork. We just thought the concept was really cool that you could combine artwork and wine, you know, kind of those wine is like art. If you like it, that's all that matters. You know, it can be totally weird or different and it's acceptable because you like it, right? Yes. So we have a good friend and her name is Babette. And, um, 
my parents had met her and bonded over cooking and art. And she and her husband owned a bed and breakfast in Halfway, Oregon. And so my parents had gone there and they'd become fast friends with the couple. And, and that is in the middle of nowhere. It's north of Baker City. It's just a tiny little artist mm-hmm. haven in the Wallowas. It's beautiful, it's but stunning. it's just a tiny little town. Um, and she had a all these amazing artworks. And so my parents started collecting her art. And then she started painting these gorgeous women. And they it turned out they were all artistic renditions of her from when she was a supermodel in the 60s. She was the first Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover model in 1964. So that was the first time that they ever put a woman in a bikini on the front of Sports Illustrated to sell it in the winter. What a title to have. I mean, that's so interesting. The very first. So in 2014, she went back for the 50th anniversary to New York, and she got to meet all the cover models throughout the years. And uh, we have the book, and it's in there, and she got signatures from all the recent supermodels. But we just thought they would make gorgeous labels, these self-portraits. So we gave them all different names. So the name of the artwork is supposed to also describe the wine. So there's little vignettes on the back that talk about the girl. So like, for instance, the wine that I have here, the Juju Delphine um, is our Chardonnay. And then we have the Juju Claret, and she's we call her Veronique. So they're all Babette, but we gave them their own identity. So then we've expanded from there. We have used um, another artist that does a little bit more sultry women, but we wanted to keep in that theme. And we'd make hair color wines, too. That's sort of in the women theme. So we make a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead wine, a white, a rosé, and a red. And... For a while, we just did these really plain labels during the recession for, like, the grocery store. It was just, like, a white label, and it said, you know, the name and what it was. And everybody said, well, I really want this wine, but I want this label, the one with the girl on it. So we did away with the boring white labels, which was, of course, on recommendation from men. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, yeah, that was a terrible idea. You know, but they just really like that traditional, clear you know, European style where it's just like a white plain label with like a bunch of like flowery text. They think it looks more regal. And we thought, well, especially being from Idaho, it's really boring. And how do you distinguish yourself, especially on a grocery store shelf, if it just looks like everything else? No one's going to buy it. For sure. So we wanted something that really popped. And my parents pioneered that with the Hell's Candy labels. They had a dog on the label. Now, how many labels do you see with a dog on the front? Lots of them. Lots, right? A three-legged dog, a teeny dog, a giant dog, a sporting dog, a foofy dog, you know? And they had one in the 80s that was called Companions White for hunting, you know? And so we thought, well, this is a good marketing tactic, but we want a look that we relate to more than, um, you know, the Western pioneering outdoor thing, which we like too, but just for the female consumer and something different. We went with a different direction. And it's beautiful. And I love the fact that you have such a marketing and a branding eye for things because it does make a huge difference and it does stand you out apart. I mean, it's been three or four years since I've been to your tasting room and I still talk about your labels. And so, I mean, it's just obviously you guys have done such a great job 
with everything you're doing. And of course, the wine has to be good on the inside as well. Right. So there's three of you, right? Three sisters? Three sisters, yes. yes. And so what is everybody's role in what's going on? So I'm the day-to-day gal. I'm on site. I live at the winery. So I manage the wine bar and the events and all the day-to-day stuff. I like to say I'm the face of Juju. But <laughs> somebody's got to own it. A lot of people, they come in and are like, are, are you the model for, you know, the artworks that are up? I'm like, sure. Does that one look like me? I'll take it. <laughs> yes, I was a supermodel in the 60s. <laughs> You've aged really well, really by well. the way. Yes. Um, and then we've got Bijou and she's our official Juju winemaker. We call her the flying winemaker because she lives in Seattle. So she just visits seasonally. And then my sister Jocelyn, she is our marketing guru. So she does all the label design. She does any of our, you know, press materials. And she's, you know, kind of does the behind the scenes. But I would say her main role now is labels. And then, she, you know, she orders product for us, like glasses and stickers and bags and all that stuff. All the, all the swaggy stuff. Yes. So, and then she used to help a lot with events because that is her strength but she has like three other jobs so we don't require her to do any event stuff anymore (laughs) it's a lot (laughs) and if you add in you know kids or spouses or dogs or whatever it just adds a whole nother level of complication and time management that is it's hard to do all everything and all. So it's it's really cool that you guys have kind of split everything up and everybody has kind of their own lane. Mm -hmm. And I guess you can probably blend into each other's lanes, but there might be some sisterly stuff that goes on sometimes, I'm assuming. Yeah, we work pretty well together. And because I'm just there doing the day-to-day, you know, they're they're not really worried about stuff unless it's concerning, you know, when we're going to harvest and then what happens right after that. And then when we're going to bottle and, you know, Bijou's really involved at that point. Um, and then Jocelyn's great at logistics, so she'll help on those days, like organizing the team and how it's going to work. And so it's really great when those culmination points come together and we can all be together and know what's going on. But then my dad's also on the ground. So he's, you know, running the lift truck, running the tractors, doing the farming, ordering the barrels, ordering the bottles. So it's really a team effort, but we're a really small team. Smell. <laughs> it's, it's really, I mean, it's really, I, being from a family farm, love when you see a family, you know, still working together, still creating this, you know, this cool product and, and still talking to each other for yeah. that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Let's switch directions just a little bit. We've talked a little bit about the wine already, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into the wine and then also talk about the tasting room and, you know, the things that you've got going on out there. Okay. Um, and that way people can come find you as oh, well. Oh, yes, please. So, so let's kind of start with the wine and kind of run down the list of what you guys are making and anything that we should know that's like fun facts or anything like that. Okay. Well, we grow all of our own grapes. So that's one of our big areas of... All um, estate. All estate. Um, so we have five varietals and they're what we've had since our last planting was in 1997. So we grow Chardonnay, Merlot, Syrah, Cabernet Franc, and Cabernet Sauvignon. We did um, try to expand to some Tempranillo, and in 2019, we planted four acres, and then we had an early frost, and we lost it all. Oh, so we haven't how devastating. yet transitioned again, just because 
it was a big undertaking to do that. <laughs> and Financially, now we've got to do it again. Energy, yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so we hope to expand and then hopefully plant a Spanish white varietal as well. And we, what we like to do at the winery, because we do have so many different wines, is change up our tastings every month. So when people come out, they can, you know, compare two different Chardonnays, one from Hell's Canyon, one from Juju. They can try right now on the menu, we have two different rosés. So they can figure out which style they like and see how a different varietal makes a different wine. And then we have a reserve tasting as well. So we offer those Cabernet Franc Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve. We make a high-end line of wines called Lava 100 from Hell's Canyon. And that is giving a little due to our our site where we are. All of the water in that property is called Lava 100. So the brand references where our water comes from, which is, you know, significant in that it produces the grapes for the wine. And the whole vineyard, really. But we have a, a Lava 100 line of wines that so people can try those. Uh, they're a little more specialty. So we offer them just, you know, kind of during the holidays and then certain times of the year and events. So we do have a lot of variety. And then we are also making from our neighbors, we got a Riesling. And so we've been doing a dry Riesling for a couple vintages. And that's been fun and new and fresh for us because it's so different than Chardonnay. And Riesling grows really well in around this area. So I think, you know, there's a lot of variety for people. Um, and we do make really different wines. In Idaho, we're at high elevation. So we have our own terroir. And a lot of people, if they're coming with a specific palate, these are going to taste really different. You know, so we try to give people the opportunity to understand that, you know, they've just got to try around and see what they like. And there's a lot coming out of the area in terms of varietals and sweetness levels and all that kind of thing. But for us, I'd say we make fairly traditional wines, but they're approachable. And like I said, we have different price points. We've got different looks, but we tend to get a lot of feedback about especially our Chardonnay. Everybody says I must hear it 20 times a weekend. Well, I don't normally like Chardonnay, but I love this. And so if people come and they don't like Chardonnay, I make them try it. <laughs> and it's it's so funny because Chardonnay is the one. I think it's the more cilantro than, of wines. Yes. Nobody <laughs> wants you either love it or you hate it or you think you hate it. Right. Um, but there's just we talked about this in a different episode and the fact that everybody associates Chardonnay with big, buttery, oaky California Chardonnay. Right. And not everybody has a palate for that. Mm -mm. But there's so many different... Or they're tired of it. Or they're tired they of it. They had so much of it. Yes. You know, but if that's what you're used to, and that's the only taste you associate Chardonnay with, you know, this is going to be really different. And we have a different clone of Chardonnay than like 95% of the vineyards out there. And, and it's older. So I think it's just different. And then we process it. We do only half malolactic fermentation. So we get some of that creaminess, texture, body. You know, people call it buttery, but our char is not that buttery. And then we blend it with some non-malolactic fermentation and Chardonnay. So then we get high acids and ripe fruit. So it's not flat or flabby. So you probably have a really nice balance between the two. Which, I don't think I've had your Chardonnay. I don't think we, I don't think we I don't think we drank that. And if I did, I don't remember. But, I don't think we did. But yeah. it's been very popular, you know, and we would love to recreate the same one every single time. But obviously, wine's not like that. 
No, no. It kind of has a mind of its own. Do you like it? Get it now. Yes, for sure. (laughs) But it's one of those things that I, you know, really encourage people. I'm like, even if you don't think you like it, try it because there's, you know, there's just, there's so many different ways of doing it. Yeah. And it's just not the same. Well, and wine tasting, the approach has gotten really different. I mean, and we encourage it too, where we are, you know, you come and you sit down and you have a tasting, but it's more of a bar experience, you know, and, but I still encourage people. I'm like, well, you're here to taste, right? Unless you've been here 10 times before and you're a regular and then you can just order whatever you like. But the whole point is to taste. An experience. Right. And so even if it's, you don't think it's going to be what you want or what you're going to like, I mean, you go to a place to see what they offer. Well, that's kind of the idea. So. And experiment and explore. And it's all about the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So we do try to offer a variety, but then it's also, you know, limited to what we grow and what we make. So. And what you have available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. Well, I can't wait to come back and I'll talk to you about my my next trip out here. Okay. Because I do definitely want to come back and taste again because it's been so long since I've done that. So definitely do that. Um, but we need to figure out where to find you and how people can order wine if they don't make a trip to Idaho. Yes. And we do get a lot of Oregonians and folks from Washington and Nevada and Utah. Um, but for those that can't visit us, we do have a website and people can order online. But if they do have an opportunity to come to the Sunny Slope region, we have a great wine trail, lots of opportunities for visiting wineries and seeing some beautiful fruit growing regions. We're open limited. We're only open Fridays through Sundays, noon to five. And people always wonder why wineries aren't open late. And, you know, it's like, well, we're just the beginning of happy hour. So you can go continue your drinking <laughs> experience in the safety of like closer to home or yeah. something, you know, but we have a beautiful uh, patio with a great view. So it's a super place for people to come because they can see the Owyhee Mountains. They can see the Snake River, which is the whole reason we can grow grapes where we do is because of the Snake River. And then a lot of people, you know, they go on. I've had a few visitors go on to jet boat in the Hell's Canyon north of us. Highly recommend that. And I was so just going to say, if really you've fun. not experienced it, <laughs> you really need to. Mm-hmm. And call me. I can give you some really good recommendations on who to call. Yes. <laughs> we spend a lot of time on, <laughs> on the Snake River and we love it. Yeah. So you here. can see it as a little more serene spot and then continue on to your adventure on the whitewater. But we just have a really nice patio with big shade. And so even during these hot Idaho summer days, people can come and just enjoy And I think it's fun for them to see the grapes right there. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people say, well, do you grow your own grapes or can I go out there and try a grape? You know, it's (laughs) like, sure. Have you ever had a Cabernet grape? Like, you know, some people haven't or even just seen it. You just walk out there and help yourself. You know, it's not going to if we get one less, (laughs) you know, or two less grapes, we're going to be just fine. So yeah, I encourage people to come visit. It's so much easier for us to tell our story and learn about other people and where they're from when they can come visit us. Because it is hard, you know, that's what people want is the experience. And it's just really hard to get that feeling when you're going to go back and have that bottle of wine with your family or your friends or at a special event, you know, to not have that experience to kind of back that wine up, which makes it so much better. It just brings another level of, you know, special to to it when you've experienced the place where it was grown and made and loved and then hence 
you know, put in the bottle or whatever. It's, you know, wine is so magical in that respect and that there is a story of it getting to where it's going. But then when you take the bottle and share it with family or friends, it creates a whole nother set of memories and yeah, and, and wine from Idaho is so unexpected. Yes. You know, and people, it's it's new and fresh and exciting. And, you know, certainly we make really good wine. So I'd love to have them shared with people who've never even heard of Idaho wines before. Yeah, and I think people are a little bit hesitant. I talked to somebody yesterday and they're like, we're starting to get people that are coming here on purpose mm-hmm. to drink the wine and to experience it. And I'm like, it's amazing and it's great. And I mean, it's it's so lovely that it's quaint right now and small, but I don't know. There's a happy balance to growing and happy balance to staying small and, you know, kind of family friendly and, and area friendly mm-hmm. um, with everybody. So I highly encourage it. Yes. And I I'm agree. so glad we made this trip because <laughs> I, I'm hoping that it'll just bring maybe a little bit more visibility to Idaho wine and all you that are making such beautiful product to share. Yeah, we appreciate it so much because it is. You know, we feel like we've been on the education train for about 40 years now and and people are now starting to say, oh, you know, are you new or did you, you know, we've had all these Idaho wines and we're just coming here now. And so, you know, there's a lot of new people to the area. Mm-hmm. And then also there's been more recognition out there from other places about Idaho wines. And so it's really, yeah, we've had visitors from, you know, Florida or the Midwest who said, yeah, we just made a special trip to come to Idaho wineries. And I'm like... Or people will say, oh, I was just in the neighborhood. I'm like, nobody was ever in the neighborhood. Like, <laughs> they no one could ever the roads. find us. Yes, the roads are paved now, so you don't have to drive the There's gravel. There's still a lot of really They're... old stuff, but it's, yeah, it's come it's come far. And, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, we've been on the slope so long, I said a lot of the equipment we have is that vintage, you know? So I said a lot of these new places, they have, like, the newer shiny stuff, so that's that's great but it's just i don't know watching it grow is just different because you you do you end up kind of feeling old like babette when she went back to that 40 year anniversary excuse me 50 year anniversary of the sports illustrated they they were saying well how do you feel you know how do you feel being the first you know the very first and a legend and she's like i feel old (laughs) (laughs) that's what she told and she's very dry but yeah it's just you have to kind of feel like you know you have to constantly be renewing and reinventing yourself and I think that can be challenging for people in in the business you know so we appreciate the new life that's spurring us on (laughs) well I am so appreciative that you made time to come visit with us and share your story and share your wine thank you make sure and go out and find Hell's Canyon wine and then Juju is Z-H-O-O Yes. Twice. So it's the phonetic spelling of a French or German term of endearment for someone you love. So anyone you love, you can call your Juju. So normally, like my sister's name is B-I-J-O-U, and it's French for little jewel. So it's kind of incorporating that J like in Dijon, Juju. So that's good if that's a little <laughs> it's help. a little bit more helpful and it's also a little bit more confusing but it's all good either way it sounds very um lovely so anyhow i appreciate you being our last stop thank on you our, our road trip and um we'll all be back and we'll probably be bringing friends next time okay so. well we're just gonna crack open those bottles and pour them around i think that's a great idea thanks hadley yes thank you okay. cheers okay.